All right, well, we are continuing on that theme of instruction. You remember Ephesians 6, 4 says, Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. And so we started thinking about discipline, the training of our children, both corrective discipline, when our kids do something that is wrong, how do we respond to train and correct them, as well as formative discipline, just how do we structure life in a way that they are learning and growing in the ways that we and the Lord would desire. And then we started to focus on instruction. And remember, these are not two silos. It's not like, oh, we're going to cross over from discipline to instruction and back now. They're related and they often intersect, um, but they are two themes that we want to consider separately. And so uh, as it relates to instruction, we started last time thinking a little bit bigger picture, and we said that if we are going to be faithful in instruction, we first must embrace our responsibility for instructing our children. The scriptures are full of reminders that it is the parents who are primarily responsible for instructing their children. Parents have a unique opportunity. You spend the most time with your kids of of anyone else, and so you have the greatest opportunity. You also have the opportunity in the midst of real life Uh, Doesn't mean others like the church aren't important, can't be helpful. They are and should be, and we should be eager for the assistance of others. But we must embrace our responsibility for instructing our children. We said, secondly, we have to remember our goal in instructing our children. 2 Timothy 3, 14 and following says, You, however, continue in the things you've learned and become convinced of. And so our goal for our kids as we instruct them is not simply that they can pass a true-false test. It is that they would learn initially the scriptures and the gospel, but not just for their heads. We also want that to be true in their hearts, that they would be convinced of what they have learned and that they would continue in what they have learned. That's our goal. It's that they would believe the truth and that they would live out that truth for a lifetime. And if that's going to be the case, it shapes how we instruct our kids. It shapes what we focus on as we instruct our kids. In fact, in that verse, it goes on and says, continue in those things, knowing from whom you have learned them. Which led us to a third principle that we need to recognize our example is instructing our children. The the first reason Paul gave to Timothy to continue in the truth was the reality of the people who had taught him those things. Their faithfulness and their example, their testimony to him, both Paul and his mother and grandmother and others. And so we have to understand it's not just our words that matter when it comes to instructing our children, it's also our example. Our life generally speaks volumes to our kids and our worship, who and how we worship, is contagious for our kids. They pick up on what we value and oftentimes will value those things themselves. And our marriage in particular preaches the gospel to them. And so we have to be committed not only to saying the right things to our kids, but to living out the biblical truth in a way that is faithful before them. But it is more than just our example. We do have to speak and we should prioritize scripture in instructing our children. That verse in 2 Timothy goes on and and says that from childhood he had known the sacred writings which are able to give you the wisdom that leads to salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. The scripture gives wisdom for salvation. They are the tool that God uses 
to awaken faith in the heart of, of a child, that they are necessary for the restoration of the soul. And, and so we proclaim the Scriptures to our kids because they give wisdom for salvation. And they're also profitable for all that we need to do as parents for teaching, reproof, correction, and training in righteousness as that verse continues. So prioritize Scripture. We'll talk a little more about that today. And, and then we want as well, uh, or if we're going to do that, we have to have Scripture as the primary content of our instruction, which means it must fill our minds and hearts. We can't tell our kids things that we ourselves are not thinking and that are not flowing out of, of us. And so we have to be committed to read and study and memorize and meditate on the Scripture, not simply so we can be better parents, but it will fuel us to be better parents as well. And then lastly, last week, we, we said we must emphasize the gospel in instructing your children. Our goal is that they understand the truth of the gospel, that they recognize God as who he is, themselves as sinners in desperate need of his grace, that they understand the work of Christ on their behalf and they respond to that gospel. And so we have to be speaking of the, the truth of the gospel. What is the gospel? as it relates to God and man and Christ and our response. And again, that's where the evangelism class I mentioned will help you to flesh that out in your own mind and, and be equipped to do that well. The, the gospel also, that, that overarching story of, of the life of Christ, his, his life and death and resurrection, but in the larger context of, of God creating a world and the fall into sin and then his plan of redemption and, and the coming new creation. But not simply the truth of the gospel, the need for the gospel. For your children and for others, they need to be reminded often of the fact that all people everywhere need the gospel and, and of the response to the gospel, that of repentance and, and faith, being careful not to coerce a response to the gospel. Our kids are, are moldable. We can get them to respond in certain ways, um, but we want to, to be careful not to manipulate them to respond, not also to give a, a false assurance of, of salvation, but we do want to proclaim the gospel faithfully and faithfully pray for them that God would work in their hearts and, and draw them to themselves. Well, today we want to discuss what this looks like in more specific detail. Turn to Deuteronomy 6. We, we have looked at this passage a, a number of times, and I want us to to consider in a little more detail this morning as, as a frame for how we should think as we, as we come to a, a, a final reality that we must be intentional in instructing your children. You see, the scriptures don't just say, you know, if you ever get around to it, it's great if you can instruct your kids in this way. The scriptures present it as a responsibility that we have and something that we should be very careful and intentional to do. Deuteronomy 6 um, speaks initially in that chapter of, of God's charge for all the people to, to know and obey the commandments of, of the Lord as, we are, as Israel was entering into the promised land. And then he reminded them in verse 4 of, of who he was. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. And these words which I am commanding you today shall be on your heart. That was to be the desire and the priority of every single person, was to love the one true God with all their heart, 
to dwell on, to have in their heart all the words which God was commanding them so that they could obey them and so they could pass them along to the next generation. Notice verse 7, he says, you shall teach them diligently to your sons. This is the idea uh, of, of repetition, of doing something over and over. Think of like carving something, of etching something into, into stone or wood. How do you do that? Well, you don't just write on it once with a pencil. No, you, you carve it in time after time after time. That's the picture of how we should be instructing our children. Intentionally, formally instructing them. But it's not just that. He says also, you shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise up. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontals on your forehead. The, the idea is, yes, we take intentional time to carve these truths into the minds and hearts of our kids, but we don't stop with that and say, okay, we're done with that part of life, now on to the rest of life. Instead, we continue to talk about those things all throughout life. And it's both of those realities that need to characterize our instruction of our kids. The first being that formal instruction. I just mentioned one book, Intentional Parenting by Tad Thompson. That's a, a resource that's helpful in thinking about how to do this well. But the first way we want to be intentional is through that formal instruction. That first phrase in verse 7, teaching them diligently. You see, the expectation in ancient Israel was to systematically be teaching their children. God put into place various things to help with that. You know, the, some of the feasts and festivals that were recurring times to, to help them uh, interact with their children. But in texts like this, it's just a reminder, this is to be characteristic of how we live. Formally instructing our children. Now, when you think of formal instruction, various things might come to your mind. You might picture a school setting. And it's like, oh, do we have our kids sitting in front of us and the chalkboard behind us? And it's like, raise your hand. That's not the formality that I mean or that the scriptures call us to. What I mean by formal instruction is simply the intentional thought about what and when we are going to teach our kids. It's not just whatever comes up, we'll tell them about God. It's we want to be intentional and thoughtful in how we teach our kids various truths about God. How do we do that? Well, one way is through family worship or Bible reading or Bible study together. Now, when we say family worship, again, don't picture the realities of like our worship service in your living room, you know, where it's like, where's our organ and who's going to play that? And, you know, how's this all going to work? Uh, no, it doesn't have to be formal in that sense, but the same elements that we do corporately, singing, prayer, reading the Bible, understanding the Bible, those things, doing those in a setting at home with your children. When your kids are young, again, this will be 
likely briefer and, and less structured. It may not even be all at once. It may be that you do some Bible reading as you're getting them ready for bed and sing a song. You know, there, there can be a variety of ways this looks. There's a couple books that I put there, Rediscovering the Lost Treasure of Family Worship and Family Worship by Donald Whitney, that are helpful to, if you've never seen this or thought about this or done this, can help you to think about it. But being intentional to spend some time, most if not every day, reading the Bible with your children, singing with them, intentionally structuring your day to include a focused time on the Lord. Again, this doesn't have to be uh, a big deal. Most parents, you know, are overwhelmed by the thought of this and never do this. Don't think that way. Think this can be very simple and that you can start when your children are young, maybe after a meal, just taking a few minutes around the table to, uh, to open the Bible together or to read from a kid's Bible together, uh, maybe at another time of the day that works well for you. What can this look like? Again, you can simply take your Bible, read a little bit, and explain it to your children. It can be helpful when your kids are younger to make use of some other tools as well, either in a family worship setting or just at other times during the day. And so I want to share a few different resources. There's a resource list on the back of your handout. Um, I did not take that and kind of piece it into the notes, um, but uh, everything that I show up here will be on that resource list. There's some more things on the resource list that I won't highlight in particular. But when you think of exposing your kids to the Bible, again, they can understand more than you think they can, so you can use a real Bible with your children. You don't have to use a kid's Bible, but a kid's Bible can be a helpful tool for helping them to think at an age-appropriate level about the big picture of the Bible. And so some helpful ones that are out there, one is called the Big Picture Story Bible. Looks like that. It's, it's really focused for toddlers or young preschool kids. This is a great uh, tool when your kids are very young um, to read through. It's, it's, you, know, you can tell the age of a book by the, the ratio of pictures to words, right? And so this has lots of pictures and not as many words. Um, but it's a great overview of the story of the Bible, God's plan of salvation, and redemption. If you have very young kids, you can start with something like that. Another one that is kind of growing up from that is the Jesus Storybook Bible. Still has lots of pictures and not tons and tons of words, but more for older children. Works through more of the of the scriptures with a focus on Christ and and His coming as the Savior and Messiah. Another one that is. Uh, really good. I think it's only available as a used um, book. It, it went out of print. I don't know why because it was, it's excellent. It's uh, called 365 Bible Stories for Young Hearts. I looked on Amazon the uh, last couple of days and I think you could still get a used one for under like 30 bucks. Sometimes the used ones there are like 120. So fight over it if you want it. Um, but this is a, a great one in that it's broken down into 365 readings. You, we, we would often do more than one with our kids because uh, they're not real long on a particular day. But they do go through all of the narrative parts of the Bible. So like this has stuff from Leviticus in it and different things that are helpful for exposing your kids to more than what a typical kid's Bible does um, can, be, uh, can be helpful. Um, some, some newer ones that are available and in print that are more at that kind of age level is the Gospel Storybook Bible um, or the Gospel Story Bible and it also has the, the Beginner's Gospel Story Bible, kind of a younger kid's version for that. Um, those are, are also um, 
well done and uh, helpful content. And then one, as, as your kids are aging, is the, the child's story uh, Bible, more of a, a classic that has a larger ratio of, picture, of words to pictures, but is written in a way to uh, engage your kids and to help them be exposed to biblical truth. So those are some tools you can use if you're thinking, okay, my, my child is three, but we want to get into the, the habit of spending time intentionally. You may pick one of those earlier Bibles and just begin using that as a part of your um, bedtime routine or part of another time of the day as you seek to establish formal instruction of your kids. Again, you can, you can also do more than just one time a day. So you might have a special time when the whole family is doing something, but then have tools like this that as you're reading to your kids, you're just doing so intentionally because you want to expose them to the entire truth of God's Word. What about some family devotion guides? These are, are tools that help you as a parent be able to lead your kids in discussion of God's Word. Again, you don't have to have anything. You can open your Bible, you can read it, you can ask your kids a couple of questions, but a family devotion guide will help you to, to think about how to engage your kids on an age-appropriate level. One of them that I would strongly recommend is tied to our children's Sunday school curriculum. We use a curriculum called Generations of Grace. It works through all of the narrative parts of the Bible, essentially, and it comes with a family devotion guide that you can purchase in our bookstore um, that has uh, a section for five days a week where it'll give you what to read, it'll give you a little explanation, it'll give you some questions to ask and things to discuss. You don't have to do exactly what's there. It's a guide to help you on your journey of interacting with your kids. Um, because the kids are studying the same things in Sunday school, you can either do it the week before their lesson in Sunday school or the week after, and they'll have some exposure to that, and you can play off of what they're already learning in a way that is very helpful. So uh, these are great resources. There are three different years of curriculum. Uh, we use them over a longer period of time, but you just want to make sure you get the right book that goes with what we're studying at the time, although you could use them at any point and uh, study through those. But they're a, a great resource um, that is uh, a wonderful tool to help merge what your kids are getting at church with what you can do with them at home. Again, these are, are written in a way that uh, a wide age of kids can participate, and that's one of the, the joys of instructing your kids at home is uh, you get to utilize, uh, or you get to be in a setting with older kids, younger kids, potentially if you have multiple kids, they can participate at their own, own level. Some other family devotion guides that are, are helpful, Marty uh, Makowski has written a number of different ones. Uh, Long Story Short is about the Old Testament. Uh, Old Story New is about the New Testament. He's written some on Proverbs and uh, on the parables. I think he's even written another one, a newer one on some of the Psalms. Um, so these are other tools that could be of use to you if you uh, want to use those in addition to or at other times in the, when you use the Generations of Grace one. We also just mentioned a couple of theology resources for kids. You know, we want kids, our kids to understand the story of the Bible, all that the Bible says and, and how it's building from creation to new creation. We also want our kids to understand the theology that the Bible teaches. So when, when we think about God, what are the things that are true about God? Well, there's all kinds of verses that talk about that, but it can be helpful to, to pull all that together. And so two resources that are 
helpful. One is called Theology uh, by uh, Marty Mikowski again, and, and uh, it just works through what you would expect in a book about theology, different categories of theology in a way that's uh, appropriate for kids. One of the things I would say um, about these kinds of resources is they're actually pretty helpful for parents too. Um, we don't have to admit that, but you can read those kids' Bibles, or you read a resource like this, and you'll be like, oh, that makes sense. Like, I didn't, I didn't really know that. And you don't have to, like, say that out loud to your kids. You can act like you've always known it if you want to, but, but it, they are really, really helpful on that front as well. Um, another one is Big Truths for Young Hearts by Bruce Ware. So theology is more one for, like, you could use that with preschool kids and up. Big Truths for Young Hearts is, is less pictures, maybe no pictures, but it's, it's really good content uh, from a guy who loves God and is a great systematic theologian, uh, but who basically taught his kids the truth about God, and his kids said, hey, you should like write that in a book so that other people can benefit from it, and so he did. And so this is systematic theology brought down at, to a, a level or just really clearly articulated with helpful um, illustrations and things so that um, kids can understand. Again, you would benefit from reading that book as well. Um, um, it's probably more elementary, um, young, yeah, I mean, it's, it's one you would read to them and then discuss, yeah, I would say probably, um, uh, probably second grade and up. Again, it, it, think, think of it more as, um, you know, you, you can have a variety of ages that will benefit at different levels. So it's not like, you know, if you read that with your second grader, you may want to read it again when they're a fifth grader um, because there's different things that they'll pick up, but they could, uh, could do that. And again, you can, you can read one little section of it. it each chapter is broken down into uh, different, different parts, work your way slowly through it, or you could read a whole chapter in, if your kids are older. Um, so family worship, Bible reading, Bible study, those are some tools that we want to be um, utilizing as we um, are seeking to formally instruct our kids. But not, not just that, some other things that are, are in that category of more intentional formal instruction. Um, catechism questions are another great way to uh, help your kids understand truth. Catechisms have been historically used by the church as a way to help people understand the basics of the faith in a way that just packs knowledge in so that they have those tools. They're especially helpful um, when there weren't as many resources available, when people didn't have a library to say, oh, I'm going to go read this, a book on this. They would have memorized content in order to, uh, to draw uh, on those truths. We use a catechism with our, our kids here at Countryside that is um, available in a number of ways. There's booklets in the children's building. You can go to the, the Sunday School page of the website um, or look in the bulletin and you will see a kid's corner or a little section that, that gives an overview of the day's lesson. And so you will see what they're studying that day. There's some discussion questions. You could use those um, in a time of family worship or ride home for the, uh, in the car ride home. And then the catechism question for that day. And so in class, the kids are being exposed to that catechism question. They're reviewing questions from previous weeks. And uh, the idea is this is helping you as a parent to be able to engage with your kids on these things. A lot of different questions. Um, again, these would be helpful for you as a parent, helpful for me, uh, that are, are just giving us good, concise, solid answers to, to common questions about God, about Christ, about ourselves, about why we're here, uh, and on and on. Um, 
one of the reasons we use the particular catechism that we do is because it is, uh, has songs available for it as well. So um, you can get songs for saplings is uh, the, the, the way those are described. Um, with those different questions and answers, those songs are also available if you look on the website by each catechism question. There's also a link if you're logged in where you can download all those MP3s. They've made those available to us as a church on that Sunday School page. So you can download those songs. Um, you can listen to the songs. The songs have both the question and the answer, and then they have uh, scripture that goes along with that, um, which is very uh, helpful to know why we are believing this. It's not just because somebody wrote this question and answer. It's because it comes from God's Word. So we can formally instruct our kids with family worship, Bible reading, Bible study, with catechism questions. And those are things you can just review at home, um, you know, as a part of your family worship. Ask your kids a couple catechism questions. Work on memorizing the one that was from that week. Um, but just working through those in a way that is helpful. Another thing we can do is scripture memory. Um, this is something that is helpful for us as parents. We've talked about it where we need to know God's Word so we can talk about it with our kids on the fly, wherever we are. Uh, we want our kids to know God's Word. And so um, utilizing various tools and, and goals for Scripture memory, Awana is a, a program that our church has on Sunday nights with kids that can be a structured way to make sure that they are working on, uh, on memorizing God's Word. Um, that you can pick other verses that are, are in uh, um, things you're studying or thinking about, things that would be helpful for your own children, uh, but encouraging them in Scripture memory together. Another means is good music. You may not think of music as formal instruction, um, and it's more than formal instruction, but it is formal instruction. Um, kids in particular can memorize an incredible amount of material when it is put to music. They learn songs. Songs stick with them. I, I would guess if I ask you what some song you learned when you were seven, uh, you could probably come up with something. Or if I played that song, it would start echoing in your head in a way that sometimes you're like, I don't want that in my head. Uh, sometimes you're thankful that's in your head. So we have to be careful what music we put in our head because it's hard to get out. Um, but that means when we put good music in our head, it's there and it's, and it's hard to get out and we can be thankful for that. And so good kids music gives both a chance to instruct your kids through music, they learn truth, and it's, it gives you a chance to talk with them about the songs that they're listening to. And so, again, there's a lot of good, uh, good stuff out. Thankfully, um, we live at a day and age where there is some good kids music. And by good kids music, I mean both solid content and doesn't drive mom and dad crazy to have it playing in the van for more than 10 minutes. Um, because that's, not, that's good kids music to me. Is, is things I'm going to benefit from and actually enjoy listening to, and my kids will also. That's, that's good. So Sovereign Grace Kids, we sing a number of Sovereign Grace songs as a church. We use a lot of these in our, our kids' ministries. They have a number of albums, like the Theology one. You say, that sounds familiar. There was a, a book by the same title, That's True. They've taken um, some of the themes from that book and put them to music. Um, like there's one on sin, I would sing it for you, but I'm not very good at singing. But it's like, sin is the scariest. 
Um, and it lists all kinds of scary things, but sin is the scariest. And um, so just lots of, of songs that will help you to teach your kids good truth. So one about Christ and, uh, and the Proverbs, they've got some others as well. Um, the Gettys, we sing a lot of Getty songs in Christ Alone, you're familiar with, and others. They have some kids' hymnal albums that um, are, are many of those same songs. They're just done in a way that's a little more friendly for kids, but still well done. Some of them have kids singing or different things on there that uh, really good truth. Um, the Seeds Family Worship is a great resource. They've got a number of different albums that are basically just scripture put to music. So this is a great way to learn scripture, to memorize scripture, to be thinking about it. Um, if you have um, Amazon Music, I think these are still on Amazon Music. It's not uncommon at our house to hear someone say, Alexa, play Seeds Family Worship, because we need the scriptures in that moment um, to help shape our thinking. And God in his providence will pick which scripture we need to meditate on through Alexa. Uh, and so uh, that is uh, a helpful thing. Um, again, there's a lot of different, uh, different ones that they have um, that are, are kind of packaged in different themes, but all sp specific scriptures. Uh, another one that's specific scriptures is Randall Goodgame. Um, he's, he's a little bit more creative, seeing the Bible with slugs and bugs. Not sure exactly how that all fits in, but um, he's, again, taking scripture, putting them to music. He's got a few uh, creative, uh, creative ones in there, too, that scriptures that you'd be like, oh, I didn't know that was in the Bible, and I don't know why that's a kid's song, but it's fun. Um, and you can learn parts of the Bible you wouldn't know, and then some that are more, more what you would expect in, the, in that way. And then I mentioned our kids' catechism songs that uh, have um, music to them as well um, that you can listen to. Uh, a final way to think of, uh, I would encourage you to think about formal instruction of your kids is just good books or, or movies for kids. Again, not necessarily um, directly teaching them the Bible, but bringing biblical themes to bear in an intentional way. Um, some that I would mention, kids, good kids' biographies. Again, as your kids are younger, you may read these to them. As they get older, you can have them read them. Um, you know, some of your kids probably will love to read or do love to read. Some of your kids need motivation to read. Um, and, uh, you know, we've, we've used, um, uh, you know, various rewards for our kids as they read, finish reading a book. You know, especially if it's like, okay, I want to read this kind of book. And I'm like, well, I want you to read a biography. We might have some negotiation about, you know, how, how, they get to, how many other books they can read before they have to read a biography or get to read a biography, those kinds of things. Um, but a, a couple series that I would mention, the, the Trailblazers series are some uh, well-done, short kids' biographies, uh, either for parents to read or, or uh, readers could, uh, um, could read them, again, more element, upper elementary age, probably. And then there's a series, Ten Boys and Ten Girls. Um, they have a number of, of, uh, of books that have like a chapter-length biography, so the the ten girls who made a difference, or ten boys who changed the world. Um, each chapter is its own standalone biography. The Trailblazers series, each book is its own biography, so a little longer treatment um, in, uh, in those ways. Um, number of other good books. You can see some books for readers on the resource list. I didn't put those uh, up there, but a number of ones that just bring good, sound, uh, biblical truth to, uh, to fiction. A couple other, Little Pilgrim's Progress, you've heard and maybe read the book Pilgrim's Progress, that classic 
Um, this is taking that in a, a level that you can read with your children. Um, really well done and, uh, and a helpful book. Again, probably also one of those that you'll be like, oh, if I read The Real Pilgrim's Progress, like, and I read this one, I'm like, oh, I, I missed that, or I didn't get uh, the, the full picture of some things that this will help you to, um, uh, to be clear. Uh, another one that I mentioned is the Lamplighter series. Um, if you're familiar with those, they are a... Um, or if you're not familiar with those, they are a um, republishing of older books primarily that were written um, like uh, generations ago when, when there was more good Christian fiction. Um, they are, are books that are not cheap to buy, um, so they could be something that you or maybe grandparents um, give to your kids as more of like an ongoing um, you know, get one for Christmas or one for their birthday. Um, they also are not um, simple in their themes. They deal with real issues of trial and death and suffering, but they are very well done and they, they really reinforce biblical truth well. They also have um, Lamplighter Radio Theater, theater, which is the books put to audio drama. So you understand there's a difference between audio drama and an audio book. Audio book is somebody reading the book. Your kids would probably not be super excited, although maybe. Um, audio theater is more of there's different voices and sound effects and, and they're really engaging. And so those are something we have really enjoyed as a family uh, traveling or those kinds of things to listen to those. Again, they're not cheap. Sometimes they have sales um, or you can kind of build a library slowly over time. Um, they also have, um, I think, something where you can listen to one episode free, maybe a week um, or something like that, which can be helpful. So um, those are just some other resources that are, are great um, for using intentionally to expose your kids to biblical truth. Um, I mentioned movies. The, the Jesus Storybook Bible is available on, um, um, on uh, an animated uh, DVD. It's, I think they're also all on YouTube and other things, so you don't have to necessarily buy them. But if you search for those, it's just the story and the pictures put together on video. Your younger kids may enjoy watching those as well. Um, there's a number of biography videos from the Torchlighters, um, Heroes of the Faith series, um, some of these are a little bit more intense, so you may, you may want to um, just know about the, uh, the person before you have your four-year-old sit down and watch them. Like this one, Jim Elliott does die, in, uh, and they, they do make it clear that he died. Um, and so you may want to be sensitive to certain kids with those, but a lot of them don't have that, um, that sort of martyrdom in them, and, um, and most of them are still um, appropriate for, for all kids. Um, the Pilgrim's Progress animated uh, movie is, is more recent that came out and, and um, might be a, a fun thing to read the book together than watch the movie or those kinds of things. Um, there's a number of other, other kids' resources. Um, some, are, uh, some are better than others and, and all of uh, a number of things that can be, can be helpful, but um, you might want to watch with your kids as well. So formally instructing our kids, being intentional in saying, we don't want to just hope our kids pick up stuff. We, we're not just going to take our kids to church and say, well, they're going to learn everything they need to learn about God and the Bible at church. We want to be intentional to, as Deuteronomy 6 says, teach your children diligently. Um, but as I mentioned, it's more than that. And Deuteronomy 6 highlights more than that for us, which is secondly, through informal interaction. 
This is that talking with him when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise up. If, if you struggle with this, the book Everyday Talk by John Yunz is a really helpful resource just to help you think about how to talk with your kids. I, I love the, the subtitle, Talking Freely and Naturally About God with Your Children. That's what we want to be doing. We want to be talking freely and naturally about God with our children. And we want to, to connect that with all the different seasons of life and all the different activities of life. Tad Thompson, in that book I mentioned, Intentional Parenting, wrote this. He says, Moses understood that God's truth cannot effectively be taught if it is confined to the home or classroom. How will our children believe that the Bible is about all of life if we only talk about it during the Bible lesson? To put it another way, discipleship is most effectively accomplished when the practice is integrated into the rhythm of everyday life. A consistent time of family worship, for example, is a great discipleship practice, but it is no substitute for a lifestyle of discipleship that encompasses the breakfast table, the car, bedtime, errands, and chores. There is not a single moment in life that cannot be used as an opportunity for instruction. That's how we should think as parents. Again, not all of that instruction is going to be about the Bible. As parents, we instruct our kids about all kinds of things as we go throughout life. Um, you may teach your kids at Aldi how to put a quarter into, the, into the, the little grocery cart to get it to come out. You're training your kids in the course of life. But we want to be intentional to talk with them about God. For some of us, this means just being intentional about creating time to talk. As your kids get older... You know, you may feel like ships passing in the night with your children as life is busy. And so it just means being intentional to say, we want to spend time together. Uh, we have five children. Um, we enjoy spending time, all of us together. We've also tried to be intentional over the years to create time individually with our kids. So maybe that's as simple as, hey, I'm going to the grocery store to pick up something. Why don't you, one of you, come with me and we'll get a little bit of time to talk. Um, so fostering those opportunities and looking for those opportunities where we can talk. Now, if we're honest, this is particularly challenging for dads. This is a, a little comic that I saw. You know, ask a mom, where do birds go in the winter? Mom says, that's a great question. Let's go to the library and find a book on that. Ask a dad... Where do birds go in the winter? Dad says, that way. <laughs> I mean, that's, that, there's a sense in which it's, it's true that moms are more naturally um, wired typically in this way. It doesn't mean they don't have to work at it or grow at it. Um, I, I say this more to say, dads, we do have to work at it and grow at it. We have to be more intentional to make the most of the opportunities that come our way to informally interact with our kids. How do we do this? What does it look like to informally interact with your kids in a faithful way? Well, first I would say this needs to be flowing from our own thoughts and heart. And again, we've talked about this, but formal instruction, you can kind of fake <laughs> In the sense that you can say, okay, we're going to spend 15 minutes. Whether I really want to or not, whether I, you know, you know, Pastor Jonathan told us we should be doing this, so by golly, we're going to the bookstore, we're buying the Generations of Grace thing, we'll get the catechism booklet, I can stomach 15 minutes of this with my kids. 
Um, so you can do that, and you can build that in as a routine, and you can say, okay, we're going to be committed to this. And that's a, a good thing that we should build in intentionality. But informal interaction will flow from what is in your mind and heart. So if my mind and heart is consumed with my job and the 14 things on my task list at home, my informal interaction with my children will flow from that. And it will be very limited. Because when my child comes to talk to me, I will say, um, we'll talk later, I will not hear them, I will be distracted by those things. It's possible I will say, hey, come along with me as we do something that needs to be done and we can talk in those ways. But what we think about, what's on our heart, what we love, is what's going to come out in our informal interaction with our kids. If I'm thinking about the Cowboys on a playoff game day, I'm going to be likely to interact with my children about the Cowboys on playoff game day. Now, thankfully, we don't have to worry about that anymore. Um, so, no big deal. Um, but if I'm thinking about God and the Bible, and the gospel, and all that God's word has to say about my life, as I am interacting with my children, those things will overflow, or they'll at least be in a position to overflow into my interaction with my children. This is ultimately why I think Tad Thompson said what he did, which is formal is great, but if you don't do the informal, your kids are getting a mixed message. They're learning that God is worth 15 minutes a day, not that God shapes all of life. And so we have to be cultivating our own mindset and heart that is centered on God and his word so that we can do this. It should flow from that. Now again, I hope that's not a burden to you. I hope that's kind of freeing to you. Like we talked at the beginning of this class, that if you love Christ and you're growing as a, as a believer and you're in God's word and you are centering your life around that, you are well on your way to being a good parent, a faithful parent, because that's really the key to interacting with your children. If you never read one of those story Bibles with your kids that I recommended, you can be just fine. If you love God and his word and you're talking with them about the Bible all the time, you will be a faithful parent. So it flows from our own thoughts and heart. It flows from those things that we are filling our minds with and the things that we love. So that's where this informal interaction begins. And, that, and it doesn't have to be anything other than it's in my own heart, and so I'm going to talk to my kids about it. You can be driving, and you can be thinking something about God. Something strikes you, and you can talk to your kids about it. Um, or you can ask them a question about it. But it, it can also be, secondly, responding to the circumstances of life. Informal interaction often comes... Uh, as we are going through life and various things are happening and it gives us a chance to talk with our kids about those things. Some of that is just connecting life to the things of the Lord in His Word. So it starts raining. Well, kiddos, you remember any times in the Bible when it rained? <laughs> oh yeah, the 
The flood. Well, I hope it's not going to flood today. I don't think it'll flood today. Why do we know it won't flood today? Well, because God said he wouldn't flood anymore. Um, so you see a rainbow, and you get to talk about the flood. You're going throughout your, your day, and you see um, the, the world that God has made, and it's a chance to talk to him about Creator. You buy a new coat, and you say, oh, you remember anybody in the Bible who got a new coat? Um, you can connect the circumstances of life to God's Word in a way that helps us to think about it. But sometimes it's more, what does the Bible say about our specific circumstances? And that can come in hard things. Uh, the death of a loved one. Um, we have recently, uh, my, my grandfather passed away last May, um, and our girls are old enough where that led to a number of opportunities for us to talk. You know, as they're Zooming with him in the last days of his life or FaceTiming with him, and some want to and some don't, and, and it's a chance to talk about those kinds of things. Other trials in life, things that are, that are hard for us or in other people's lives are opportunities for us to talk with our kids about God and His providence and His sovereignty and His faithfulness and His care. So often we don't talk to our kids about things because we're not sure how they'll respond instead of talking to our kids about things in an age-appropriate way and helping model and instruct them in, in how we can and should respond as we trust the Lord. Again, doesn't mean that you're going to bring everything up with your kids when they're young, but it does mean we're looking for opportunities to talk with them about the circumstances of life. Some of this may be the various opportunities that, that you have as someone who's following Christ and can help connect those things to your, to your, your kids. You know, maybe you have a chance at work to, to talk with a coworker about the gospel, and, and instead of just keeping that to yourself, you can, over the dinner table, share that with your kids so they understand how, how you were uh, seeking those opportunities, and you were able to ask them, what would you have said if they said this, and, and can interact with them in those ways. So, as we go through life, we can look for opportunities to respond to the circumstances of life in a way that is instructing our kids. Those can be the circumstances we face, the opportunities we face, the trials God brings in our life, and it can be all the different things that happen in their life. So your child comes in from hanging out with a neighbor, playing in the front yard, and they're crying. And they're crying not because they scraped their leg, but because so-and-so did something to them or said something to them. Well, what is that? That's an opportunity for instruction. It's an opportunity to help them think about what the Bible says about how we should respond in that circumstance. You can talk about that in, in family worship. You can go through a resource on conflict, and, and your kids can get that truth in that context, but it's in the real day-to-day -day interactions of life that those things become real. Oftentimes, because we've thought about it more formally, it gives us the chance to play off of that in that informal interaction as we're talking about it. So looking for those opportunities in the midst of the real circumstances of life to bring biblical truth to bear, that's the kind of informal interaction that we want to have. And again, that, that book I mentioned, Everyday Talk, will, will help flesh this out even more if, you, uh, if you're looking for some more help on that. It's also, thirdly, responding to the questions or statements of your kids. Kids are generally curious, and so they are oftentimes 
um, eager to ask questions and interact or to make statements about things. And if we just listen to them and respond in an engaged way, we will be surprised at the volume of opportunities that we have to talk about the things of the Lord. But too often we are distracted, we, we are maybe bothered by it, or they're asking things in such a random way or such a, uh, a you know, kind of rapid fire, where is their attention span that we, we just think, oh, there aren't really any opportunities here. They're just being kids and I'll just turn up the music and, and let them you know, do what they want to do doesn't mean there aren't times where it's okay to tell your child, we're not going to talk about that now, you go play, I'm hanging out with your mom. Um, that's okay, but we do want to seize opportunities that come from the questions that our kids ask. Now, don't think you have to answer every question your kids ask in the fullest possible detail. So sometimes people ask me, like, what do I say when my kid asks me, where do babies come from? Like, how much, how much do I get into that? Well, sometimes we're going to answer and just kind of see what they're wondering about so that we can at least say, you know, God creates babies in, in mom's womb. Um, you know, and that may be sufficient for them. They may want to know more than that as they get older. No, really, where do they come from? Like, how do they get in there? Is there you know, I saw a stork thing. Do they deliver? No. You know, don't overreact to your kids' questions. Don't start sweating because they ask you something and you're like, I don't know. Uh, just answer it in a basic biblical way, and then you can follow up as they continue to, uh, to want to learn more. So listening to their questions that they ask, listening to statements, Sometimes your kids will say something that's not true, but it's how they see the world. And so they make a statement, and you're like, eh, I mean, it's not like totally wrong, but it's not right. You know, and, and you don't want to crush them you know, and be like, no, that's not right. Uh, but you also want to direct them. So what is a tool you can use for that? Well, asking questions of your kids, responding with questions uh, can be a helpful way to keep them thinking and to instruct them without it always being you monologuing. This becomes even more important as your kids get older. Um, Christy and I joke with each other, usually we're joking with each other, when we, uh, when we start to monologue. You guys have maybe seen the, uh, I may have mentioned this, the, the Incredibles movie, um, where you know, there's a line in there, you're monologuing again. Um, we can tend to do that with our kids, especially as they get older. It's like we have all this biblical knowledge and wisdom um, that, that is so clear in your life. It's not always clear in our life, but, um, but man, we can see what you should think and do. And so we're going to tell you, and we just tell you. Here, it's, it's really easy. Just think this way. Do this. And our kids are like, yeah, whatever. Um, you know, and so, not really. They're, they're listening, but they're not getting it to the same degree as if they have to think about it. And so when they come to us and they make a statement um, and we respond with a question, they may even be wanting us just to tell them it's easier that way. But when we ask them a question, it forces them to think and it gets them to, to process in a, in a different way. So don't think instruction is always simply you telling your kids things. It's you engaging in dialogue and discussion with them. So we want to be intentional to instruct our kids through formal instruction, through informal interaction, and lastly, through purposeful discipline. We talked about this some in our, our discipline lessons, but discipline is a wonderful opportunity for instruction. As we discipline our kids, 
and correct our children, we have powerful opportunities to help them understand themselves and God's Word and the Gospel. In the midst of discipline, we can be intentional to instruct our kids by addressing their heart. Proverbs 4.23 says, Watch over your heart with all diligence, for from it flow the springs of life. Matthew 15.18 and 19 says, But the things that proceed out of the mouth come from the heart, and those defile the man. For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornications, thefts, false witness, and slander. You see, discipline and the instruction that we give our kids is not simply about behavior change. It's about dealing with hearts. Part of the instruction that we give our kids and that we need to understand as parents is that the reason we do the things we do is because of what is going on in our heart. Because of what we love and what we desire. James 4 says, what is the source of quarrels and conflicts among you? Why do you fight and have arguments? Well, your kids would probably say it's because of my sibling. Like, their fault, right? That's how we think of conflict. It's someone else's fault. It's the circumstances. He says, no, it's not the source. Your pleasures, your desires, the, the things that are going on in your heart. We, we want something really badly. And so we fight and quarrel over it. Well, that's what we get to do as parents. We get to help them understand the connection between their behavior and their heart and help them to deal with the issues of their heart. Think of it this way. We, you, you know, your, um, your kids are fighting with each other. You can respond, don't you ever hit your brother again. That's probably sort of true. I mean, there might be a situation. Um, but that, that, that's warranted, but probably not with a brother, you know, unless he's like violently attacking another sibling, in which case you may need to hit your brother. So be careful not to say never. But that's, that's just dealing with the behavior. Just, hey, don't ever do this again. But contrast that with, you know, talking to them about how you are to love your brother as you love yourself. Well, one of those is heart level. <laughs> one of those is just behavior. Now, you're going to get to the hitting if you're talking about loving your brother as you love yourself, but that's the level we want to be talking about. You know, or don't glare at me like that. Versus you're to have a heart that honors and respects the authority God has placed over you. Your, your response to authority shows what you think about God and whether you trust Him with the human authorities God has placed in your life. You know, there are so many common acts and behavior that we want to see changed in our children. And we have to not only focus on those behaviors, but what is going on in the heart. Why is it that, what is it that they are loving or desiring that is fueling that behavior? Ultimately, this shows them the, the depth of their sin and their need for Christ. Because it's possible that a kid can never hit their brother again. That's doable. If there's enough motivation, you can, you can have the self-control. At least some people can. But if you talk about loving your brother as you love yourself, eh, not going to happen. And it shows us our need for Christ. It also helps us to uh, understand the goal of what God has called us to as we imitate His character. Now, if we're going to do that, we need to be addressing their heart, and, and in doing that, we need to be using Scripture as well. 
the scriptures are the primary tool for helping us to understand ourselves and our hearts. They are the primary tool that connects what we do and how we think, what we believe, what we love. Now one helpful resource is, uh, that, that can be a, a blessing in this way is called Wise Words for Moms. It's not just um, helpful for moms, but it's written for them intentionally. Um, and, and what it has is all sorts of behavior um, that co- is common with kids. And then it has some heart-probing questions, some things you can ask a child to try to discern what's going on in their heart in that moment. And, and then it has kind of the, the put off, what we need to not do, what we need to put on, and some additional verses to think about in that way. Just a helpful resource um, that you, again, may not pull out in the moment, although you could, but just something you can, you can work through to, to familiarize yourself with, to help you to think in these ways. So we want to address the heart, and we want to use the Scriptures in those moments of discipline to bring biblical truth to bear on their minds and hearts. This is not easy to do. Primarily because in the midst of correction, we're also often struggling with our own heart because what they've done has messed with our life too. And so the fact that you hit your brother means now I have to stop making the spaghetti that's for dinner in order to go and talk to you about hitting your brother, and now my heart's having issues. (laughs) And so this is something where if we are are just careful to cultivate a mindset that says these are some of the golden opportunities of parenting and instruction, and I don't want to miss those. I want to be faithful in that, and I want to deal with my own heart as well. So purposefully instructing in discipline by addressing their heart, by using the Scriptures. A third is by appealing to their conscience. We are not alone in seeking to address our kids' heart. God has given them a conscience that is on His side. (laughs) At least it, it should be. And it's on our side as faithful parents to appeal to their conscience. I want you to think about the example of Nathan and David. Um, when David had sinned with Bathsheba back in, in 2 Samuel, and, and we won't take time to turn there. You might read it later in, in, uh, in 2 Samuel, uh, that account from 11, 12, 13, uh, is, is fascinating to see how Nathan confronted David. David had sinned. He had committed adultery and murder. Nathan was the mouthpiece of God coming to him. Did he come to him, if you remember that account, and just say, David, you committed adultery and murder? He didn't. Now, probably part of that was he's thinking, if I go in like that, he's the king, off with his head, and poorly for me. That could be some of the motivation for why he was a little bit more ginger in how he approached him, but I think he also understood that there are are ways to approach someone that appeal to their own conscience and help them to feel the weight of what they've done. And so what did he do? Well, he told him a, a story. He told him a story that made David say, that's awful. How could anybody ever do that? And then what did he do? He said, oh, by the way, that's you. And so what did David feel in that moment? Not the defensiveness of, 
you committed murder, when he's trying to say, wait a minute, it was the other guy's fault. Um, you know, he felt what he was already feeling now based uh, and, and focused on his own heart and sin. So using illustrations to help our kids think about things. You, know, you may have heard uh, of things like, you know, a dad teaching his son about uh, fornication or, or pornography, premarital sex and interaction. Um, the, uh, you know, instead of just saying, hey, don't ever do this, using some vivid pictures to help that. The difference between drinking cold water from the fridge and drinking cold water from the toilet. Like it's still water, but one is good and one is not. And that's what God says. He says this is beautiful in the one context. It's not the same in the other context. You see this with Christ. Why did Christ tell so many stories and parables? Well, there are a lot of reasons. Some of it was to conceal truth, actually. But some of it was to illustrate things in a way that would help people to say, oh, we can use questions with our kids in this way. Appealing to their conscience oftentimes is, is done by asking them a question instead of giving them the right answer. So a simple question like, what was wrong with how you just treated your brother, forces them to have to stop and think about it. If you just say, don't hit your brother, well, they, they've not thought about it necessarily. They're just you know, ready to get on with life and, and deal with whatever. But if you slow down and you start asking them questions about that, what did you want so much that you were willing to hit your brother? <laughs> I wanted that toy. Well, is that toy more valuable than your brother? Is that what we should love most? So by asking questions, you can help them to understand and think more deeply and you can appeal to their, to their conscience. We can do this Again, through the use of questions and the use of, of stories, biblical stories as well can be helpful in, uh, in those ways. Lou Priolo in his book, Teach Them Diligently, put it this way. He said, when using the Scriptures for the purpose of conviction, you should take aim at the conscience of your children. You must try to disturb any complacency and indifference to sin and awaken him to the fact that he or she has done or not done something that is displeasing to God. One of the most effective ways of awakening the conscience of others to their sin is by asking them questions. Again, the difference in I can't believe you talked that way to your mother, how disrespectful, and what was wrong with how you just spoke to your mother. Um, appealing to their conscience, asking questions to probe their own heart. So be intentional in instructing your kids through purposeful discipline by addressing their heart, using the Scriptures, appealing to their conscience, and lastly, directing toward the Gospel. Ted Tripp put it this way, he said, the central focus of child-rearing is to bring children to a sober assessment of themselves as sinners. The focal point of your discipline and correction must be your children seeing their utter inability to do the things that God requires unless they know the help and strength of God. Discipline leads to the cross of Christ where sinful people are forgiven. Again, if you are truly addressing the issues in your child's heart, they will understand that they cannot meet God's standard. If you just focus on the external behavior, hey, don't hit them again, they, they see that as an attainable standard. Maybe I can get there. Now, they may not care. They may not try. But 
when we address the heart, it brings us to the point of what Ted Tripp just said there, of seeing their utter inability to do the things that God requires. When we start talking about loving God more than we love ourselves and loving our siblings more than we love ourselves, about showing preference to one another, about respecting the authorities that God has placed in our life and therefore trusting them when their desires and and what they tell us to do are in conflict with our own desires, you start seeing pretty quickly that I can't do that. And the solution to that is not try harder. The solution is that is not you better figure it out or else you're going to still be in trouble a week from now. The solution is you're right. You can't do that. Which is why you need and why I need the gospel. And see, if your child is struggling to obey, you can respond, I'm just going to keep disciplining you until you learn to obey. Or, I can't believe you're still struggling with this. I don't know if you'll ever learn. Or, I don't know what to do with you. I've tried everything. Or you can respond, I know it's hard to obey. It's hard for Daddy to obey God too. That's why Jesus came. Jesus perfectly obeyed. Jesus is the only one who never struggled with his siblings the way you struggle with yours. He had siblings. He had brothers and sisters. He never was selfish towards them. He's the only one who never struggled with disrespecting his parents. And yet, God treated him on the cross as if he had done all those things and more so that he can treat us as if we had lived Jesus' perfect life. That's our hope. That's the hope that we have, is that God would be gracious to us because of Christ. And if we cry out to Him, if we come humbly to Him, repenting and believing in what He's done, God will change our hearts and and God will ignite in us new passions and desires for Him. And He'll forgive us our sins, but that is our only hope. We cannot do it on our own. We cannot change ourselves. We are desperate for the grace of God. You see, that's the opportunity that discipline and correction give us. But if we're not careful, discipline and correction only becomes about how can I get you to act differently so that my life will go better. We need to be intentional in instructing our children through purposeful discipline, through making the most of those opportunities. Again, does that mean that every time you're going to have that full conversation? Probably not. Definitely not while your kids are are younger and you're disciplining over and over. But that should be our heart. And that should be the the pattern of our interaction. And if you don't ever have a longer conversation about that, then you're missing that opportunity. And again, you can come back and summarize that. You know, you just had that conversation 10 minutes ago. You can remind them, you know, that's, that's why we need the gospel. That's why we need Jesus. That's why God sent his son to die for us. You can bring those things to bear, instructing your kids in the context of of discipline. So we want to be faithful to instruct our children. We want to do so recognizing it's not just about what we say, it's about our example, but we want to be intentional in what we say. Recognizing, as Deuteronomy 6 says, we need to teach them diligently. Formally thinking about how can we teach and train 
and we want to informally interact with them. We want to talk about these things when we sit in our house, when we walk by the way, when you lie down and when you rise up, filling our day with discussions about the things of the Lord. And we want to utilize discipline as an opportunity to help our kids understand their own heart and to see them um, understanding their need for the gospel. Well, there's some reflection questions on your handout again this, uh, this week. I encourage you to take those, to think about it. There's that resource list um, that's on the back of that. I encourage you to take some time this week to think about both the formal instruction, what are you doing as a family, and what should you be doing. Don't bite off more than you can chew and, and say, we're going to order all 14 kids' Bibles and, and we'll start them all tomorrow. No, be, be realistic, but be intentional and begin building a library of things maybe you'll use in the coming years as your kids age. And think intentionally about what are the opportunities that we aren't taking full advantage of for informal interaction. What are some things even this last few days that we could have done differently as we were interacting with our kids? What are the kinds of opportunities we have that we don't necessarily take? And then think about your normal interactions in the context of discipline. How can you make better use of those things to direct your kids to the Scriptures, to help them understand their heart, and ultimately to direct them to the Gospel? Let's pray together. We'll close. Father, thank You for the time. Help us to be faithful in applying these things. Help us to be eager to dwell on Your Word to, to overflow from that in our words to our kids and just to make the most of the opportunities that we have. Lord, help our kids to be eager to receive the instruction of your word and help, uh, help them to have humble hearts before you. We thank you in Christ's name. Amen. All right. We've got a couple minutes. Any questions about any of those resources or things before we dismiss? Yes. Yeah, great question. I, I think the biggest thing I would say is we want to take our kids to the Bible for the answers to those questions. So when, um, when our kids are, or when we're trying to wrap up a conversation about the gospel and what it means to respond, you know, I think we can take them to places like Romans 10 and say, here's what the Bible says about how we should respond. That, that, um, it, and there's simple verses in Romans 10, like whoever will call on the name of the Lord will be saved. That's what God calls us to. And, and what does that look like? Well, Romans um, 10, 9 and 10 talk about um, if we confess with our mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead, we will be saved. And, and so I think directing them to the scriptures where they are, they're not, um, the, I, th I think what we, what we want to avoid is as a parent saying, okay, um, I'll, I'll lead you to do that right now. If you just repeat after me, then, we're, then you're good. 
but we want to help them understand what that can uh, or what that does look like biblically and how that can be expressed. So I think we, you know, oftentimes with our own kids as they've grown, you know, we've had conversations and encouraged them, uh, you know, do you have questions about that? Um, you know, do you, um, you need to take some time and, and reflect on what these truths are and, and you can pray to the Lord. I mean, we don't have to be present with them to express those realities in their, in their heart. Um, so I do think we want to, we just want to keep coming back to this is what the scriptures say. And then I think as they ask us questions like, do you think I'm a Christian? Um, you know, again, I think we can just take them back to what the Bible says. And some of that has to do with what is the response necessary to be a Christian. So uh, the Bible says somebody who confesses with their mouth, Jesus is Lord, believes in her heart that God raised him from the dead. You know, is that, are, do, you, do you recognize Jesus as Lord? Do you believe what he's done? Are, are you um, uh, living in a way that then reflects those things? Even like our First John series to say, here's the things that God says will be true of a Christian. And I think as a parent, you can encourage them in that. So when you see, yeah, you seem to really love God's word, and I've seen a, a growing love for others, even in how you're treating your siblings. That's, that's great. Encourage those things. You just don't want to be the ultimate stamp of approval for them in those ways. And, um, and, and you want to you wanna help them to draw that assurance from the scriptures. And that's why continuing to bring them back, you know, and, and asking them questions, I think, is, is part of that. So, you know, what, asking them, what, what, what are some things the Bible says will be true for someone who is a Christian? And seeing what they say. And if they say they go to church and, um, you know, they always obey mom and dad, well, now you know I get to talk to you about some things you're maybe thinking wrongly about. You may think you're a Christian because we go to church all the time. Even though we've talked about the gospel like 50 zillion times, you still have some works-based mindset, in, and I want to ask you questions to draw you out in those ways. So especially as they get older, asking them questions, taking them to the Scripture, I think is the, the primary thing that we want to do. I do think at, at, at some point, like I mentioned last week, and I think it's on, um, on your handout there, the book, the let's get ready for the Lord's Supper or something like that. That can be a more formal thing. If they have, you know, expressed that they're a Christian as you've talked with them, if you see some fruit of understanding and change in their life, that can be something that you could work through with them a little more formally that helps you to understand the gospel and what they're, what they're doing. Um, so it is a balance. You know, we don't want to discourage our kids. You know, if they're saying, you know, hey, I th- I think I'm a Christian to you. I don't know. I can't know until you're like out on your own in college, so we'll find out. Um, you know, I mean, there's a sense in which that's true, but that's not true. You know, it's like, no, I'm going to encourage you in what I see in your life and encourage you with the hope of Scripture and make it clear that, um, that the promises of Scripture are true in, in clinging to the gospel. At the same time, for any of us, and I think you can talk about yourself, you know, I know I'm a Christian not because I prayed something a long time ago, but because I believe the gospel today and I see the fruit of that in my own life and helping them in those ways. But it's, it's a hard aspect of parenting. Chris, do you have anything to add to that from our interactions with our girls? And 
That's why I love that verse in Colossians 1, um, where it says, these things are true of you, if indeed you continue in the faith firmly established and not moved away from the hope of the gospel. It's Colossians 1, 23, I think, 22. Um, it's, it's talking about you... Um, um, so it's, it's just Paul's talking to people. He's confident they're believers. Um, and yet he encourages them with their assurance by saying, this is true of you if indeed you continue in the faith firmly established and steadfast. So your assurance is not based on what you believed about the gospel yesterday. It's about what you believe about the gospel and your hope today. Um, and that doesn't mean you can lose it, but it means that's what your assurance and confidence is right now. Yes? Um, I mean, I think to some degree, I would say it's both. You know, God, God is training us, you know, and he trained Israel in ways, and, and God still expects us to obey even when we can't. And so you're, you're both training them to respond in the way that they should, and there's consequences when they don't, as well as helping them to understand the right response to that is the gospel um, in those things. So. 